Praise the Lord. Beloved, it's a glorious day as we begin celebrating the most important occasion in the history of humankind. In fact, the, what is usually termed the historicity of the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus, even secular historians, people who do not believe in our God, people of the kind E.P. Sanders and co., and close to 70% of New Testament scholars seem to agree that one time in history, there lived a man who died, and his grave was found empty. Church, I said his grave was found empty. Hallelujah. This is our God. Dear ones, in fairness, other people can compete with Jesus on some of his achievements. Other people can compete with Jesus on some of his achievements. Talk about his miracles. We seem to have some people who believe in juju, voodoo, some spirits, and some of the miracles Jesus did. They can do certain things to let it look like they are also powerful. You see, when I was growing up, I had a mate in school when we were very, very young. I think that was in primary school or so. And this guy... For some strange reasons, well, I never saw it happen, but it was believed that he could multiply toffees. So you give him three, and the next moment there's a packet of sweets. How he was doing it, well, like I said, I never saw it, but it was believed. It was as if he was using some spiritual powers. Strangely, he could never multiply his marks. I would have expected that if you can multiply sweet toffees, then don't sit for the exams, okay? Then when the results come, then uh, your marks will just supernaturally appear. Uh, it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> How people believe in certain things. But the point I'm trying to make is if we experience Jesus only at that level, there are some stories and people around who can claim to be coming close to our God. So if we are talking about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and this guy claims to be multiplying sweets or toughest, then you see that he's coming close. In fact, even in changing water to wine, science can stretch itself. Just follow, we're going somewhere, a very brief exhortation. In changing water to wine, science can stretch itself to give some explanation of natural fermentation processes at a reduced time constant, therefore drawing near to what Jesus did. But you see, friends, in that particular miracle, as in changing water to wine, the first type of wine got finished, didn't it? Secondly, the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had enough to drink. But you have saved the best till now. 
That second wine that was coming was the water that had been turned to wine by our Lord and Master Jesus. And the testimony of the head of the banquet was that you have saved the best till now. The point I'm trying to make over here is that whatever Jesus offers is the best. And he will offer you something good, which is better than any other experience you have ever had in your life. If you believe that, shout a big amen. What Jesus offers is the best. Not just the best, it tasted better. The wine Jesus gives tastes better. If anyone has cause to come near, what God gives is always the best. And it tastes better. So far, as an introduction, I've just started by illustrating on the many matters of miracles. And if the focus on the physical activity of a miracle is all that we dwell on without a purpose, some guys can come near, even stretch themselves, and say that they are also doing that. If you look at the moral teachings, as in do this, don't do that, of our Lord and Master Jesus, you can have names like Muhammad, Guantama from Buddhism, Confucius, even Pythagoras. Confuanochi. I'm sure we have heard Confuanochi. Pantajali of yoga. They can come close and claim that they are also offering something. But anytime they come close, my recommendation is that stretch them to the cross, okay? Cause those people to be laid on the tree. Cause them to be crucified. Not just that, allow them to die and wait for a third day. Then you will see that only one man, only one man, Jesus, will pass the test. He started off with us, allowed himself to be crucified was buried and on the third day he rose up and he is alive forevermore. No one can compete with him. Leave the bodies of the other guys and they will remain there. In fact, a friend of mine who was very interested in some of these things decided to conduct a research and went around looking for uh, descriptions of great leaders. And one thing he found, he wrote in his book that for every great leader I came into contact with where he was buried, you hear statements like, here lies the remains of so-so and so Oh, but friends, near the tomb where Jesus was laid, there is no inscription that can state that here lies the remains of our Lord and Master Jesus because he totally resurrected with his body and he's alive. You can't find his body anywhere. This is our God. And for this reason, oh, friends, he has been given a name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. We will add the verse 10 to 11. Jesus Christ, the name above all names. Can we shout it together, believers? Jesus Christ, the name above all names. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The Father. 
Over the next few minutes, my focus, by the grace of God, will be just to give a background to this test. So we will look at the context of the scripture, what it means by the name above all names. Then we just finish and pray. So two things, just looking at the context of the scripture, then also the name above all names. When we say the name above all names, truly, what do we mean? And indeed, if it's a name above all names, then we should begin identifying other sub-names. Are you following it? It's a name above all names. So I will start identifying sub-names. Names that are menial to the greater one. So that as we mention the name Jesus, every name indeed will bow to that name because it is the name full of authority. The name in your mind can be a kind of disease. It can be a kind of issue. It can be something you are disadvantaged with. At the mention of the name Jesus, let every name bow to that name. And we have our authority. So now let's look at the context of the scripture. You see, the context of Philippians is very interesting, where we quoted. Paul and some of his colleagues had begun the church at Philippi. As you would see in Acts chapter 16, a scripture that we are very familiar with from 11 to 40. In Acts chapter 16, Paul sees a vision. For those of you who, who remember the story, and a man tells Paul that, come to Macedonia to help us, which is the region of Philippi. That's Acts 16 verse 9. Then in verse 12, they travel to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district called Macedonia, where he had had a revelation to go, just follow it through. And they stayed there for several days. Again, if you study assisting carefully, you see that the verse 13 says that on the Sabbath, they went outside the city gate to the riverside where they expected to find a place of prayer. We're just exploring the contents of Philippians, okay, the book Philippians. So now Paul goes to a place, he goes outside the city to the riverside and he's looking for a place to pray. So you would agree with me that if there is anything, in fact, it was that journey that brought about the church, the church that became the church that the letter was written to. So the foundation of that church, I believe, has something to do with prayer. Because he started by going out to look for a place to pray. So I can imagine how the early believers would be connected with prayer. So it was built on prayer. One of the major points I found in the background. He says that when they sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered, so by the riverside, they found some women who had gathered. And what did they do? They spoke the word of God. So another major thing for the church in Philippi had to do with the sharing or the spread of the word of God. A place of prayer and also the word of God. Then now one of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatra named Lydia, a dealer in purple clothes, a very rich woman, very rich woman. She was a worshiper of God. Then now look at her. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. In other words, the woman was convicted. She received illumination. She received understanding. Who brings about conviction? Come on, shout it, our church. Who brings about conviction? So this is, again, an environment conducive for the Holy... As a matter of fact, in any environment where there is prayer and the Word, the environment is created for who? The Holy Ghost to work. 
So the Holy Spirit touched the heart of Lydia. And let's see what happened. When she and the members of her household were baptized, something followed. Similar to what is recorded in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, about fellowship, also breaking of bread. So this woman now tells Paul and the other guys, come and stay at my house. Instantly, there is a sense of giving. There is a sense of hospitality. We're talking about the fabrics or the characteristics of that church that this letter was written to. We've touched on prayer. We've touched on the word. We've touched on conviction by the Holy Spirit. And based on that, we are also extending it to hospitality and fellowship. She persuaded them. But you see, something happened. I wish the story had ended there. But if you study assisting carefully, the Bible says that one day, whilst they were going to this place of prayer, Paul and Silas were followed by a young fortune teller, a young lady. And she was shouting after them, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Paul wasn't a patient man. Okay, he wasn't that patient. He got frustrated one time. And being anointed in the spirit, said to the spirit that in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Why would Paul do that? So at that stage, Paul sensed in his spirit that there is a certain voice speaking. And that voice cannot oppose the bigger voice which is in the name of Jesus. Therefore, he has to speak to that name and use the name Jesus to command the spirit to come out. Indeed, he said, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. In the name of Jesus. If there is any foul spirit operating, if there is any knowledge and any kingdom exerting itself against the knowledge of our God, in the name of Jesus, we command it to bow now and let Jesus be exalted. You see, in the Old Testament, there were places called the high places where sacrifices were made. Some of them were unto idols. But I bless God that our Lord and Master Jesus was also crucified at a high place. And on top of that, the greatest sacrifice has been made. And in that sacrifice, all authorities bow at the name of Jesus. One thing I found about Jesus, I'm sure one time I shared over here, that when you mention his name, when you call him, he comes. He's here with us. He's right here. And he will crush all kingdoms and all dominions to set everyone free. If you believe that, shout a big amen. So you see, when Paul rebuked the spirit, the owners of the girl realized that the economic gain was gone. Then they incited people, they attacked Paul and sailors, and the magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. So the next major thing I'm sure Paul would remember about the establishment of the church in Philippi was being stripped and beaten by rods. Very painful. What has he done? Somebody is operating with the wrong spirit. I've just rebuked the spirit. And because the guys are greedy, they decide now to beat them up. So verse 23 of Acts 16 says that after they had severely flogged them, they were thrown into prison. Look at that experience. Just imagine that Paul didn't just wake up to go to the region. He had a revelation. 
In other words, God himself sending him there. He's prayed, he's shared a word, there's been a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. He's been received, there is fellowship, but on this day, he's been flogged. He gets to prison. And now he's been thrown there, and the instruction to the jailer was to guide them carefully so that they do not escape. So there was battle, there was persecution, there was imprisonment over there. So let's pause. So this is the background to the book that we are coming to talk about briefly. So now over time, Paul again on his missionary journey has now been arrested and put in prison in Rome. Whilst he was there, you see, by that time, the church in Philippi had grown. There were leaders. It had become big. But they remembered Paul and realized that the guy who started the work over here is in prison. So they decided to send some guys to visit Paul in prison. And not just ordinary visitation, they sent him some items. They went there to comfort him. In fact, at one point in time, one of them served Paul to the extent that he fell ill. And Paul describes it that he was at the point of death and truly he would have died. But there was something Paul described. He says that, but the Lord showed him mercy. But the Lord showed him mercy. His name is Epaphroditus. He was at the point of death, but the Lord showed him mercy. My dear brothers and sisters, if anyone is at the point of death, if anyone is at the point of losing anything, may the Lord show us mercy, even as we study and walk around Philippians. So now Paul decides to write to them. And you would imagine, and I'm sure you now understand why the chapter 1 and the verse 1 is full of thanksgiving. Because he was so glad that the people have remembered him. That my labor was not in vain. Up to now, by the grace of God, when we receive calls from places we have worked before, from individuals that we thought maybe they wouldn't be able to get far. But when you get the news about their stability and their own experience with God, their own growth, their own new understanding, I'm sure if you were in that state, you'll be glad. You'll be extremely happy. I can imagine this is how Paul felt. So now he was in prison. He's been invited. People have come there and they've shared fellowship with him. Now he decides to write back to thank them. But in doing that, he was careful to remind them that in all things rejoice. So you hear the word rejoice. I say again, rejoice. Because if you had been beaten, and if you had been thrown to jail, and now you are also being reminded of that experience over the walls in jail, you have to tell the people that, look, we can be bound physically, but our God cannot be bound. It doesn't matter what the world constrains us with. We are free in our Lord Jesus Christ, for his name proclaims freedom to us. But another important thing he sends to them is that, guys, there is something about Christ Jesus I want you to experience. Therefore, he writes to them at the beginning that, let this mind, which is in Christ Jesus, also dwell in you mightily. Are you getting it? So they've brought him present, they've served him. Now he needs to write back to acknowledge, to thank then in addition to that, he pours out his heart to them that, guys, the Christian journey can be tough, but rejoice. In addition to that, as a body, the only way you can excel over this period of time is to let 
this thing called the mind of Christ dwell in you richly or mightily. He carries on to describe what is this mind of Christ. And now look at it. In Philippians chapter 2, if you start from verse 5, it says, I let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What was it? Who? Being in very nature God. So this is the kind of mindset the philosophy Christ Jesus had. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Then he clarifies that type of death by saying that even death on the cross. It could have been any other type of difference. In the Greco-Romanian era, they could be stoning. You know, Stephen was stoned to death. You could be cut with a sword. You know, James and John the Baptist experienced that. But there was something about the cross. There was something unique about it. And he had to die on the cross. We wouldn't have time to explore the imageries and all of this. But even if you trace to the book of Exodus, and around the time when the Passover lamb was crucified and the blood was supposed to be sprinkled at the post, study the scripture carefully. He says that you do that vertically. I'm not doing much exposition on that. Then you spread it across. An imagery of something that looks like cross was even presented in the days of Exodus. Our Lord Jesus Christ had to die. But Christ did something. That's all I'm trying to say. There was a mindset. And there was something that he did. And upon completing that thing, he was qualified for something. Let me clarify that. The scripture over there basically is saying that, let's say there was a test. <laughs> let's take it to the class. That's why I'll be very familiar. Uh, there was a test. And after the test, he was given a certificate. So on the certificate is the writing that from now on, you have been given a name which is above every other name. And not just that, the implication of being given a name above every other name means that at the mention of your name, every knee, then he see he qualifies it. I'm not just dealing with people here, but knees above, knees beneath, knees at my level must respond to the name Jesus. As I mentioned the name Jesus, let every knee bow, every knee under the earth, every knee on the earth, every knee above the earth must respond to the authority in the name of Jesus. Let kingdoms bow, let names bow, let knees bow, because he has been given that name. Shout hallelujah to that. You see, we will come back to the first part, what he did to qualify. But God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, Paul is saying something very serious here. Upon all the pains, troubles, and this is just all I'm trying to share today. Upon all the pains, troubles, the burden, the frustration, you see the carrying of his own cross, the going to Calvary, the nailing, the side pierce, and all that he went through. 
if all he had to achieve, you see, for us, it reconciled us to God. But for Jesus, what he achieved was a name. Ooh. <laughs> do, 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 do you get it? So our benefit in this association, apart from our reconciliation to God, is the identification with that name. Something that we have been given, a person that we have been given, that at all times, when we are in need and we call on that name, Bible says, those who call on the name shall be saved. Of course, we're talking about a grand form of salvation. But even if we limit it to what we go through, it means that if you are going through challenges, my sisters, my brothers, and you are able to call on the name Jesus, the Lord himself will intervene because you have put his hand into action. Please, are you getting it? Call on the name Jesus and you will be saved. But again, my question is, if all that he had to achieve was a name above all names, who cares? What does it mean? You have a powerful name. Yeah, that's fine. But who cares? For now, if we mention Boris Johnson, uh, who, who cares? In fact, does he feed you? <laughs> there was Donald Trump. Do, do you care? Even here, to be honest, for some of our powerful men, when we mention their names, in fact, they don't give you your key to your room. Do you really care? So if all that Jesus achieved was a name, just that, then we should understand the import and what actually that is. I learned very soon. Names are very important. There are many functions of a name, but I'll just pick one or two. Then I learned. Names describe a person. So a name describes a person. What we, in English we would say a noun, a thing, or something like that. It gives identity and denotes something, a name. So if, for example, I say Elder Joseph in Brocco, you all know who I'm talking about, don't we? Yeah, so we all know that we are talking about Elder. But there's something more to that. Immediately I mention his name, you are likely to go beyond him as a person to the role that he plays. So elder is our presiding elder. His name comes with his office, doesn't it? The reason is that you can have another elder Joseph in Morocco seated there, the same name, okay? Yet it may not carry the same authority and the same right as our presiding elder. So a name is associated with a person. That's why this whole argument about whether it should be called Yeshua or whatever. You see, you, you can call it whatever you like, but it must be associated with that particular individual. Do, do you get it? So whatever name you mention, whatever association you give, if it is not related to the one who carried his cross, died on the cross, and on the third day resurrected, you aren't starting any business. Is that okay? Because a name is associated with a person. But now look at it. Supposing I'm an usher, and like a day like this, I stand there, and someone comes to sit at the back. If I go there without any identification and tell the person, move forward. If the person is kind enough and respectful, maybe the person will respond. But immediately I attach a name of authority to it that apostle says, come forward. Elder says, come forward. Do you see the magnitude and the weight of that request? Which is very different from what I might have done with my own identity 
and authority. So, because a name denotes a person, anytime we are dealing with the name Jesus, we are no longer dealing with ourselves, but we are dealing with the one who died on the cross. Therefore, whatever we request by that name is in the authority that he gained by dying on the cross. Do you get it? Authority which grants us access to the Father and authority which grants us dominion over the earth. Two things, access to the Father and dominion over the earth. Literally, what we lost in the Garden of Eden, as we mention the name of Jesus, we regain our authority, we regain our dominion, receive that opportunity in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You are no longer speaking in your capacity, but you are speaking in the name that you are using. You see, the reason is that to the hearer, the question is, who is speaking to me? Who is giving me this instruction? So, Jesus giving a name above all names means he has attained the authority and the right to exercise that authority. So, Jesus has attained authority and the right to exercise this authority. That's why he comes to his disciples in Matthew 28. From 18 to 19, saying that all authority, I'm sure you've come across that scripture, all authority, in fact, not some authority, all authority has been what? Given to me. So that name carries authority. He has the authority and the right to exercise it. Another person can be called Jesus, but we don't care. In fact, one time <laughs> at Warwick, I was marking a script and uh, I found a name, <laughs> Apostolos Christos. He's a Greek. You know, they give, they give those names. I looked at it and I said, this guy, you're joking, man. <laughs> you're choosing apostle versus Christus, <laughs> my Lord. Don't joke with the name of my Lord. But the point is, it doesn't <laughs> matter. He can call himself even Jesus or Jesus or whatever. But we know our Jesus and he has authority. Over this period, what the world is going through, what we are going through, there is someone who has authority. And at the mention of his name, they must line up. They must line up. You have to tell your spirit that everything must line up because I'm mentioning the name Jesus. Friends, let me learn with it. The next major thing is that the one who is giving the instruction must be higher than the recipient. If a name is mentioned and you're asked to do something in that name, it must be higher. So you see, for God to confirm that principle, Paul starts by saying that for this reason, he has been exalted. And place where? At the highest point. So it is not just the name, but the name and the person has been placed at the highest point. And that is why he's been given a name that is above every name. Friends, the last point on names and authority is that you must be the owner. You must be the owner to have absolute authority. You must be an owner to have absolute authority if you want to apply a name. The reason is that no matter how powerful you are, you can be limited by your location. I started off by mentioning names. And you see that although they are powerful sometimes in the news, but their area of influence is limited to where they are. Therefore, for Jesus to have authority, now listen to this carefully, dear one. For Jesus to have authority, he must be the owner of things under the earth, things on the earth, and things above the earth. 
So when Moses writes in Genesis chapter 1 saying that in the beginning God created the earth and the heavens, he was qualifying the creator to have ownership of the earth and also life above them. Then now John also clarifies that in him all things were made. So things under the earth, things on earth and things above. He is the creator. Without him nothing was made that was made. He is the owner. And therefore, his name transcends. His name has power. His name has authority. He's able to create and recreate. He's able to take you to your next level. I pronounce Jesus Christ the name above all names. God bless you.